Are you a leader who truly cares? You're in the right place. We created For Leaders Who Give a Damn to help you kick ass in business while becoming a better human for yourself and the people around you. Your hosts, Natasha Wallace, founder of the Conscious Leadership Co., and David Wilkinson, editor of the Oxford Review, are going to bring you the science and practical application of conscious leadership. So on this podcast, we are going to be talking about uncertainty and dealing with uncertainty and also sort of within the context of conscious leadership in the workplace and how that shows up. So, I mean, especially at the moment, there's so much turbulence in the market. I mean, created by the pandemic, by um, inflation and all all sorts of things, um, that there's a lot for the workforce to contend with at the moment. But there's always a lot for the workforce to contend with. I mean, generally speaking, at work, change is happening constantly. And it's something that some people seem better equipped to deal with than others. And certainly from my experience, the the better equipped you are to deal with uncertainty, then the more likely you are to thrive in the workplace. Because if you're not equipped with the ability to deal with it, then work's actually just going to become incredibly stressful. What's your take on it, David? Yes, is my take on it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, all right. So this is... This is my 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 research exercise. One of the big realizations that we're having in the research around uncertainty is that there's a a kind of a a, a range of tolerance to uncertainty. So you know when you think about people, right, and you look at people from a personality point of view, there are lots of different personalities, right, and there are lots of different elements that go go into those personalities and you've got this kind of range of humanity and then somewhere in the roughly the middle there's there's kind of the people that we describe as normal um and then we have the outliers the people either at one end or the other that we think you know are either nuts or whatever it happens to be you know we don't you know and it's the same you go into a workplace uh, in terms of credibility all sorts of bits and pieces I'm pretty certain that we have a, for a variety of reasons, we have a range, similar kind of range in terms of tolerance to uncertainty. And we can get better at dealing with uncertainty from where we are, but not everybody's going to go to the same place. And it's a very similar issue to do with kind of personality. We can we can become a better human being, but it depends on where we started, how we construct it, what our beliefs are, and, and things like that. Now, when you think about it from a an, an organisational point of view, so there's a, a an activity that I do in in organisations where I get people to. It's called a four corners exercise. Basically, what we do is we kind of get everybody in a, a big room and I've got flip charts on the wall. One says uncertainty, one says vagueness, risk, and, did I say, and chaos, right? So we've got, uh, I'll just start that again. We've got certainty, 
vagueness, risk and chaos on flip charts in four corners. And I just say, like, go and stand in the corner that under normal circumstances, you would the kinds of conditions you would prefer to work in under normal conditions. Would you prefer to work under conditions of more certainty, more vagueness, more risk or more chaos? Right. What you find is the vast majority, even most organizations, depending on the organization. So if you go to the special forces, it's a little bit different or the police, for example, because they're usually used to and pride themselves in working more chaotic decisions. But in most organizations, what you find is the biggest clump sit in the, I'd rather be, I'd rather know what I'm doing. I'd rather feel I'm competent in that area. And I, I like it like that. Right. Then what we get is we get a smattering of people in the risk area, usually because they're from sales or something like that, but, you know, and that the terms that they use is no risk, no reward and those kinds of things. Yeah. And then a small clump of people, usually in the chaos area, when we start talking to them, they enjoy chaos. Um, they like the uncertainty of it, but largely they like it because they like taming it and making it, doing something with it, starting to see the patterns and, and, uh, but it gives them opportunity to play that they feel there's a lot more freedom there. And then now and again, we get the odd person in vagueness. Not very many. It's like less than 1% usually across the whole spectrum. So we have this kind of natural thing going on. There's a, there's a range of reasons for that. Then the second part of that is, okay, now go to the position where you definitely wouldn't want to work under, you know, if you had to. Now, you'd think they'd go to the opposite corners, but they don't. What we end up is, is a huge clump in vagueness. The vast majority of people do not like vague situations at all. Some of the certainty people will go to chaos and some will go to, uh, risk, but most of all of the others, including the, um, the chaotic people will either go to vagueness. The chaotic people quite often will go, or the risk people, there'll be another clump in certainty, right? I don't want to work in a situation. Yeah, I know. I don't want to work in a situation of uncertainty. You go and ask them about it. Why don't you want to work? It's boring. Uh-huh. I'd die. Like, <laughs> why would you want, why on earth would you want to work in conditions where you know what's going to happen? <laughs> and the certainty people who are largely now all stood in, in, in chaos, um, vagueness or risk are kind of looking at them thinking, you're nuts. So, but the point of all of this is within any organization or any team, you're going to have this variety of tolerance to uncertainty and and reactions to uncertainty. Mm. And they, firstly, that creates a whole load of issues. So if you think about a leader, for example, so you have a leader who prefers to work in conditions of certainty, how they're going to be, Mm. or you have a leader who prefers risk, how Mm. they're going to be. Mm. And how the other people are going to react to that. Mm. So if you've got a, a, a leader who likes chaos and prefers that kind of the, the excitement of all of that, mm. what's the reactions of the majority of their staff who prefer conditions of certainty? Yeah. And vice versa. So you start mm. to think about a matrix of different reactions and different possibilities across those, those kinds of things. And you start mm. to see why some of the conflicts start to arise in, in organizations. Mm. Now, just moving that to the side for the minute, when you start to think, as you've mentioned, you start to think about organizations in flux. So mm. organizational change or constantly evolving environments, 
So uh, COVID, there's a, 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 I was just reading a paper this morning about AI anxiety. Mm. So, y- you know, with uh, electric cars, there's this whole thing about range anxiety. Mm. Like, will I get there before my battery runs out? <laughs> well, well, it turns out there's a very similar thing with technology and AI. Is it going to replace us? Is, you know, mm. do we have to stop thinking? Mm. Do, you know, all of these kinds of things. And, mm. and certainly, and, and it's becoming more of a recognized issue within organizations. Now, your approach, and we were talking about this in the emotion regulation session uh, uh, in the last podcast, your approach to something depends on your beliefs about it. But it also depends on your tolerance for a whole series of things. So your ability to be able to regulate your own emotions, your tolerance for uncertainty. So if you've got a low tolerance for uncertainty and it's stressful for you Mm. and you prefer more certainty, and we've got a lot of change going on, Mm. that's a completely different prospect than if you're somebody who likes chaos. Mm. Change to those people, they love it. It's Mm. like, just bring it on. Give me some more, please. Mm. Mm. Where other people is like, enough. We've had enough of the change. Just let us settle down, get competent again, mm. and then move on. So we get these situations of wanting to be more competent. So what I'm portraying here is that a lot of the rhetoric that I hear around let's make people more flexible, let's make mm. people more tolerant of uncertainty isn't as simple as it as it appears. You're going to have this tra- long line of difference between people's ability to be able to deal with change. Mm. And what that means is you need to lead them and manage them in very different ways. Mm. When you think about it, you think about organizations, right? So just, you know, they're called organizations for a good reason. They're organized. Mm. And they're organized, what they're doing is they're organized in order to have a particular set of outputs. Mm. whatever it happens to be, whether it's products, services, uh, profits, hopefully. What they're trying to do is make these things predictable because, you know, you want to buy something and know that it's going to do what it says. So organizations are based on the idea of organization and predictability of output. In order to do that, what we tend to need is some form of certainty within the, We need people who are good at doing that, who are good at delivering that level of stability of output mm. and the quality of those products is stable. So we need these people who like certainty, who like knowing what they're doing. We also need the people who are thinking about the next technologies, thinking about AI, how we can use it, scanning the environment for what's coming up next, thinking about how what's the market doing and how can we shift to do it. And that's entirely different. So what we find is people who've got high tolerance of uncertainty are really good at all of that. Mm. But trying to make everybody innovative, trying to make everybody tolerant of uncertainty, A, isn't good for the organization, and and B, isn't good for them. It's stressful. Mm. So if we just make this realization that there are different people that are great at different things Mm. and they're valuable, like you can't have an organization without people who like certainty. It doesn't make any sense because they're the people who are going to drive the organization. But you're equally, you're not going to have change and you're not going to keep up with the, what's happening next and what's happening out there mm. without the people who are outward looking, who are innovative, 
who are happy to experiment and who don't need much structure. Mm. So we need all of these people within organizations. What's happened is there's this kind of message come out that everybody needs to be more flexible. Uh, and I don't believe it. And not only do I not believe it, I don't think it's healthy for them or the organization. Mm. The organization needs to manage that process mm. so that there is change, but that these people who like the certainty are taken along with it in a way that enables them to be who they are. Mm. And one of the things that we talk about with conscious leadership is authenticity. Mm. These people are being authentic. Mm. We need to nurture that. We need to allow that to happen. And this constant going on about you've got to be more flexible, you've got to be more tolerant of uncertainty. Why? Surely we can manage that so that you can be you can be who you are, good at what you're good at. We can capitalize on that as an organization yeah. and take you along as things are changing without causing a lot of disruption. I think that is a very important point though, the point about taking people along. And I would say that regardless of people's sort of appetite for change and ability to tolerate uncertainty. One thing that I would say is generally an expectation of the workforce is that they do have some sort of visibility around what's actually happening. And I think that is where you can Mm. close the gap to some extent on um, it's the vagueness. So there's, there's a difference, isn't there, between dealing with a, a rapidly changing environment and things just being vague and you not knowing what's going on. And, and it's interesting that you say, actually, if, if you know, we've got a group of people in a room and you say, you know, what's, what's the, the most sort of suboptimal situation you, you would find yourself in and they all go to vagueness. And I think that that's incredibly important. And I think it's quite an important lens for leaders to manage through, not just to manage change through, but just to manage through. Because this mm. comes up a lot in the conversations that I have with teams. And the teams just want to know what's going on. They almost mm. don't care that it's bad news. I mean, I would argue that the massive impact of the changes at Meta, for instance, where they're making large case scale redundancies, you know, finding mm. out about that news, if you're somebody who's impacted, probably, you know, isn't, isn't great. But generally speaking, people want to know what's going on. They want to know the truth. They want to know what impact that has. I mean, they also want to see the leaders actually taking charge and taking action and being courageous and doing something about it and organizing themselves around it. But people do want to just have some clarity. And I think that often it's a, it, it, the impact that that could have, the impact of providing more clarity to your team and taking them on the journey and telling them what's going on, involving them in the conversation makes a massive difference actually to people's stability mm. and of course you you know going back to to the emotional regulation piece and you know the sort of fight flight response in people and what leads to a lack of productivity or suppressed performance and productivity in teams often it is actually them just not knowing what's going on it's vagueness vagueness mm. has a massive impact on performance so as a leader, I think it's incredibly important to work on closing the gap on vagueness. So, mm. you know, do, do we believe that the people around us, that our workforce, that our teams understand what's going on, understand the direction we're heading in, understand the plan that we've put in place to get there, 
understand the role that they play in helping us to get there, and getting some recognition and feedback as to how they're helping us to get there. So that's an ongoing feedback loop. Are being helped when they need to make some shifts or pivots or course, correct it, course correction in order to help us to get there. And I think that if, if you have those conversations as a leader with your team, then actually you do go quite some way towards minimizing the uncertainty if, if that relates to vagueness. Yeah, for, for those people that need it is what I yeah. would say. Yeah. And recognizing that you'll probably in most organizations have a group of people who don't want that, mm. who don't want that level of, they don't want policies and procedures and told what to do. They want to be left alone to innovate and to experiment. Mm. And it's those people that are going to take you into the future. Mm. Now, the, and the, there's a whole stream of literature around this whole idea of organizational ambidexterity, this ability to be able to exploit existing resources and explore new avenues, new way forward. These are different people. They can do different things and they have a different place to play within the story of an organization. The trouble is, quite often leaders, in order to lead an ambidextrous organization, you've got to recognize the value of these two sets of activities and also the the range of people within the organization that exists between those two ends, between mm. the certainty end, and you're going to have some people that are right down there that really want lots of certainty, lots of direction, continual feedback, uh, positive feedback, right mm. through to the other end of people who just want to be left alone, who yes. don't want rules and regulations. Mm. And But if you can manage that, if as a leader you can get your head around this range, and you can get around your head around, and they call them ambidextrous leaders, this ability mm. to be able to keep the job going, keep exploiting existing resources, making a profit and all the rest of it, and having a view to the future. Mm. That means using the resources we've got within the organization and their mm. people. Mm. And some of those people will be happy, will be delighted to do that exploration for you because that's what they want to do. That's where they live most. And and this is interesting. I haven't, these aren't confirmed figures, but I have this suspicion, right? Quite a lot of consultants are refugees from companies, largely because they sit down at one end, They're, they like uncertainty and things, and the organization keeps trying to put them into a box and they don't like it. And in the end, they leave. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm sure not all consultants are like that, but there's a kind of a suspicion that that's what, that's what occurs and mm. that quite often these people who like uncertainties are seen as mavericks. They're seen as destabilizing because they keep creating change. They keep trying new things. They like the new things, shiny new things. And they're seen as, as, as being destabilizing. Mm. But actually, if you harness them in the right way, they'll show you the future. Yeah. But I mean, you've I've, got I've, to recognize that i've seen i've seen lots of that sort of behavior in organizations often they are seen as the mavericks and the disruptors mm. and i think yeah. that sometimes it's because they aren't speaking the same language as the rest of the team and that might be down to a values misalignment they just actually believe something different that they, language they, is very different yeah and, and sometimes that just doesn't work i think you know yeah. if they're so so sort of polarized from the wider group I think that can be that can be a problem. Uh, so there seem there needs to be some sort of yeah. synergy, right? But there are people in the middle, 
who are, mm. who, are, who fill that gap, who can communicate. And mm. a very large company that I worked with, what they did was they recognized these weirdos who like uncertainty <laughs> and like constant change and, and are constantly coming up with new ways of doing things, driving everybody else mad. Yeah. They put them in a hut mm. and, and just said, just stay there and just tell us you know, what's coming up and what's right, happening okay. and, and what are you seeing about the organization that needs sorting? Okay. They were great at all of that. Yeah, and then okay. what they had was the people in the middle, this is what I'm talking about, the range, mm. the people in the middle were mm. doing the translation piece. They were mm. talking to the weirdos in the shed of saying, look, this is what's going on down, uh, with with the, the 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 majority of people on the, on the factory floor. It was a factory. Mm. Um, and then... When change was coming, they were able mm. to translate that change into mm. something that the certainty people really got. Mm. And what was interesting, the hardest part of all of that yeah. was convincing HR, get this, convincing HR to remove all the regulations from the people in the shed. And I mean, all the regulations. We stopped, they, they stopped having a leave quota. Everybody right. else was on 25, 30 days leave or whatever right. it was. Okay. Yeah. I, I, we were saying, just don't do it. No rules, no regulations. You can do what we want. Right. You know, as long as it's not damaging or harmful. And what they found was by removing the leave requirement that you can mm. take as much work, time off work as you want, mm. that the lights were on in that shed at four in the morning quite often. Right. They, their leave quota went down to an average of 10 days a year. Oh, These God, people you're, didn't you're want talking, to take leave. You're talking to, obviously, a, a, a former HR person. I feel like I can't be hearing what you're telling me. We can't exactly. be calling them weirdos. We can't be giving them only 10 I days know. holiday. I can't hear it. But no, I'm no, you're to... not only giving them. You're saying you can take <laughs> as much holiday as you want. But what you find is they only take an average of about 10 days. Yeah, yeah. But they were taking 25 days because they felt they had to. Right, okay, okay. And and we and I came across this by accident. I there was yeah. a university at Cranfield. I was on an old style right. academic contract. And we so there was we didn't have week, weekends on those old contracts weren't recognized. Mm. So you had not less than 42 days leave a year and everybody 42 days. Wow. So yeah, but that includes all my weekends. Right? right? But what you found was most of the academics who were on those old style weird contracts that, that had no, you know, had a minimum, mm. actually most of them didn't take anywhere near that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you go down to the certainty end, if you do that down at the certainty end, people will expand their leave. Mm. So because they need more boundaries. Yeah. So there are different, different ways of managing different people. And yeah. it makes sense for the, for the organization as a whole. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. A lot of organisations can't get their head around that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's complex, and of course, because I do come mm. from an HR background, I mean, instantly it just brings into, <laughs> you know, my mind, you know, fairness and equity, and you know, equality, and how do you make it, you know, how do you stop infighting and all that yeah. sort of thing. But I get the sentiment, which mm. is responding to the diversity of thinking and needs within your organization and actually yeah. playing to those strengths rather mm. than seeing them as, as barriers or as seeing as everybody is sort of one homogenous, you know, yeah. we all need the same thing. And actually we can see that yeah. in our own teams, can't we? You know, if you have a team of 10 people and you mapped it, you could probably say, right, you know, those people there actually are pretty cool. They can go off and yeah. 
be they're fairly self-starting and they don't really need a huge amount of these people over here need a lot more support and guidance and direction and reassurance but i mean i think at some point we should do a podcast on the big five personality traits because actually this starts to bring me into things like neuroticism and conscientiousness and the impact on how people show up on the workplace and agreeableness Mm. because actually i think that it's a, an interesting lens. And I think, you know, for anybody who doesn't understand the big five personality traits, or character traits, it's useful yeah. to know those two to start understanding sort of the shape and makeup of your team a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. There's some interesting things around personality and about why. But we'll, we'll talk about that in that podcast. Fantastic. Well, lovely to see you. Um, I you? feel much more certain about uncertainty now. <laughs> and i'll see you again soon yeah take care Bye. bye thank you for joining us if you're curious about what conscious leadership can do for your organization visit tclc.co for more content follow and subscribe for more weekly episodes